Okay, this morning I'm just going to share uh, just briefly, briefly some of the things that uh, we went over. Uh, we had a time, Mike and I, yesterday. And, and I'm just going to go over a few scriptures and then we're going to get into the details of it. So in Genesis, the 12th chapter, we're going to see here uh, again. Genesis 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get you out of your country. And what that means is, when he's speaking here, he, he needs to get us away from all natural life. We see that, again, here, based upon the 11th chapter and the end of the 11th chapter of Genesis and then the beginning of the 12th chapter, we see that Abraham did not leave until his father, Terah, had died. And that's, it speaks of we have to be dead to natural relationships. And again, that's brought out in Luke 8, verse 21, and Matthew 12. And verse 50. And, and that means in us. God has to deal with the natural in us before we deal with the natural in others. That's the way it works. So here he told him now, and then finally, after his father had died, and then we see in Genesis 12, 1, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get out of your country. That's what Paul was saying that even before he was born in Galatians 1 and verse 15, that, that God in his, his, his prescient knowledge, his pre, pre-knowing him and what he would do in him, he had separated him from his mother's womb. That means his natural living place. He had been, he had been separated uh, from his natural living place in, in Galatians uh, 1 and verse 15. Now, so he said, get out of your country in 12, verse 1 of Genesis, from your kindred. Notice that. From your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. Now, the land we know this always speaks of the promises in Christ. And that's 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. They're all settled in him. In 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20, they're settled. So the promises have to do with the person of Christ and the work that he's already accomplished in propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. So he said, unto a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. You see, you see everything about our Christian life is everything that he's doing. And he's doing it in us based upon what he's already finished about us. That's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So he said, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. And make your name great, obviously, in the greatness of who Christ is in them. And you will be a blessing. We know this, that if we're ever to be blessed by God, and when we are, it's because Christ The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they have been glorified. And when he's glorified, that's true blessing. That's the only time we're truly blessed by God is when Christ is glorified in us. That's even brought out in Colossians 1 and verse 27. Verse 3, and then he said this, and I will bless them that bless you. That's why we, each of us today in the church, we can be a blessing to each other. 
because we have Christ in us. This is, we've heard this in years and decades past. This is called blessings by association. Well, that's just, that's just bringing out the fact that we are all one in Christ. We're all one in him, and we all have a portion that we have intimately with Christ himself is brought out in Revelation 2 and verse 17. But then we have that portion, not to live unto ourselves, but unto him by living unto others. Oh, how the enemy wants to stop us in our tracks. He wants us to get, a, to make ourselves, to give us this truth that will be so attacked by the enemy, either by us being deceived or him accusing us and using uh, many different vessels to do that, to accuse. Oh, how he wants us to just get us to settle down in a, in a little, little self-fellowship around the truth, and that's it, but not to enter into evangelism. Well, you know, 2 Timothy 4, if we follow 2 Timothy 4, 1 all the way down to the fifth work, it's, he says, make full proof of your ministry. Make full proof of the fact that Christ is working in you, teaching you, counseling you, as you do that to others. You make full proof of the ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. It's not just keeping our own little circle and keeping us protected from everything. <laughs> oh boy, how the enemy doesn't want that. Now he said, I will bless them in Genesis 12, 3, them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you, and in you will all families of the earth be blessed. Now, this is in terms of, we understand this, we're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, and Abraham is the type of the obedient Christian depending upon him. And this is what this is bringing out. In other words, when I depend upon Christ, when I depend upon him, his glory, when I see him as he truly is glorified, then, uh, then he blesses me with the counsel and beauty of his son, and then I can be a blessing to another. Then we can have fellowship. You see, there isn't such a thing as fellowship if Christ isn't the object of glory in each of us. That's brought out in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Then it enters into 4. And we see it goes right into 1 John 1, 7. Then we walk in the light. That's true character of who we are. We walk in the light as Christ is in the light, as he's our life in Colossians 3 and verse 4. Now, so he told him there that all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, in terms of Israel, have they all been blessed? No, we know that they haven't, but they will be the only time they will be is when God raises up, and he told that truth, truth to Moses in Deuteronomy 8, 18, 15 to 17. He said, I'm going to raise up for Israel a prophet like unto Moses. That's millennial reign. That's going to happen on the earth. But are we as Christians right now already blessed with every spiritual blessing in Ephesians 1, 3? All the way to the 23rd verse. Absolutely already done. We already have that. Now, verse 4, it says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Okay, so you think you have to wait on God and be patient and grow in grace. And here's a guy, he's 75 years old. 
and he had to grow and just the way that he knew these things. How much more have we been given in terms of capacity in Christ and oh, how we need to grow. So he departed as the Lord spoke unto him. He was 75 and Abram took Sarah, his wife and Lot, his brother's son. In other words, it was his nephew and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, natural living place, and they all left. So God was going to bless them. And, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. This is the land of all the promises that we have. And into the land of Canaan they came, and Abram passed through the land unto the place of, of uh, Sychem, and unto the plains of Morah, and, and, and the Canaanite was there in the land. That's a, that's a picture of spiritual warfare. We enter into all the promises, the person of Christ we learn and all his promises. That's when the spiritual warfare is ramped up in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 because of the height of our position in Christ will be the measure of the height of the attacks that come against us. The Lord appeared in verse 7 unto Abram and said unto him, Unto your seed will I give this land. And that was the place that he built an altar. And everything that God gives us, the measure of his glorification in you and I being blessed, has to do with sacrificial love. Has to do with that. It's an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed there unto a mountain on the east of Bethel. East in the Bible always speaks of resurrection. Bethel always speaks in type of the human spirit, where we're not living in self-consciousness, soul consciousness, but God consciousness in Hebrews 4.12. And there's where the necessity of the word for us in Christ now, as we look back on these types, has to come in and separate us. There's a constant separation of self-conscious living and, and God-conscious living. And there's where the enemy wants to wear us out. He wants to wear us out with that. And if he can wear us out and get us to just settle down in a little circle with just a few who understand, then we don't go out and do the work of an evangelist. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 19, a great, and verse 9, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, there's a great and effectual door open unto me. That's the preaching and teaching. Not only to an inner circle, but then going out in evangelism. That's what it says. So there's a great door of opportunity. So, so, we, so we should be surprised at that opportunity that there are many adversaries. You see, the enemy wants to use all those that he can use as an adversary to get us to quit. Well, who do we quit on first? Who do we forget first? We forget Christ. We forget all who he is and what he's accomplished. Then we don't function with a loving father that we have in Galatians 4, 6, and 7, and, and Romans 8, and verse uh, 15 and 16. We forget that, and then Satan comes in, who's the father of all, of all lies, in John 8, verse 44, and he begins to daddy us in our experience. He can't touch our position in Christ. Sin doesn't touch our position in Christ, 
That's why the enemy constantly goes after the experience. He does not want our present condition, our present state and experience to be the equal of our position because then Christ is glorified in us as a vessel and we get blessed and then we can be a blessing to others in turn. Well, that's where he had an altar. And he removed from there unto a mountain in the east of Bethel and pitched his tent Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east, and there he built an altar unto the Lord, and then he called on the name of the Lord. You see, we can call on him. He's our loving Father. John 20, 17, 20 verse 17. We have a Father. Jesus said, I'm going to my Father and my God in the most unique way in his deity. But then he said to us, as the Son of Man, he said, and I'm going unto your Father, and your God. And so when it says that, God is not our judge in that text in John 20 and verse 17. He's not. He just governs us through his love, a loving Father who governs us, not judges us, but a loving Father many times who chastens us in Proverbs 3, uh, 11 and 12, and in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, chapter 12, I should say, verse 4, all the way to verse 29. So why should we be surprised when God has to shake things in our life? And would you be surprised who he would use to shake you? How close, then, was Judas to Jesus in his whole three-and-a-half-year incredible public ministry? Was he, as clo- was he close to Jesus in one sense? Yes, he was. Oh, he certainly was. Now, he called on the name of the Lord, right? That has to do with the nature and character and essence of God, which to us is manifested through Christ. Verse 9, And Abram journeyed, going on, still forward. But look where he's going. Still forward, but where's he going? He's going to the south. He went, now, now watch this. And there was a famine in the land. Now, what can the famine be? There's two ways the enemy can use this. Now, in Amos 8, 11, the word there through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, I should say, through the prophet Amos said, there's coming a famine in the land, not for bread or for thirst or for hunger, but for hearing. And that has to do with submitting, not just hearing, but submitting to the word of God. That again is brought out in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 3. There's a necessity to have a charge to constantly preach the word, and that involves evangelism too, as God gives us opportunity to do so. Not driven, not becoming a works-oriented thing, but led by the peace of God's love. And when we have peace, we know it's because we're experiencing his love for us. And so then we see very, very clearly that that's what we do in the freedom of who we are in Christ. But here, he said, he moved south, and there was a famine in that land. Sometimes the enemy, if he can't wear me out from from hearing and obeying the word, he wants to use others to try and wear me out. This is really... Daniel 7, 25, he speaks great words against the Most High to wear out the saints. But we're not to be weary in doing good. In other words, the good that Christ does through us 
in Ephesians 2.10 because that good is what he's finished, but he's working it through us. And so in Galatians 6.9, don't be weary. And really what the original says, in doing good. And that simply means re- submitting and receiving the good of God in you. That will flow through you and and. Christ will be glorified, so the goodness of God has to do with his glory. That's in Exodus 34 and verse 6. He's the only good one in Matthew 19 and verse 17, and in Luke 18 and verse 17. He's, that's where goodness is. There is good. And so again, don't be weary in God working good through you. Again, this is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation. That is not just that day you got saved. That is your whole Christian life. That involves chastisement. That involves being attacked. That involves all these different things. All of that has to do in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18 is our growth in grace and the knowledge of who Christ is. You see, everything becomes an opportunity when we submit to him to know Christ to know him in ourselves, to have him be glorified, to light us up on the inside. And then that glorification passes through us, to us as a blessing, then through us as a blessing to others. So there was a famine in that land. And guess what? And then when that happened, when all this famine, geez, If it's not a famine in myself, it's a famine in all these other people and all this is going on. And you know what? Guess what? What did he do? Did he turn to the Lord in obedience? No. What did he do? He went down. He was brought down. He went down. Read Psalm 42. The psalmist consoling himself. Why are you an unrestful soul? Why? This is what he said. What? He went down into Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world system. To sojourn there. Oh, how many Christians? They got to take a vacation. And I'm all for those things if God has us to do that and we're completely led by him. I'm all for that. If we're being led by God, isn't it important in everything to be led by him? And that is God's business with the individual. That is God's business with the individual. And he'll make that known. But that's his business. He's their father. He's their guide and God, obviously, through the word and through vessels that he uses in Hebrews 13 and verse 17. And so there, he went down to Egypt and sojourned there. And For the famine where he was was grievous in the land where God told him to dwell. It was grievous. Listen, in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1, in our time, if it was then, what is it our time now? In 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, what does it say? How does the enemy seek to overwhelm us? I'll show you how he can do that because God showed me, and that's why we can experience it together here as the Holy Spirit is the teacher who takes the things of Christ, shows them unto us. In 1 Timothy 4, 1, now the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, he's speaking to us. And he's speaking to us directly this morning. He speaks expressly, very clearly and very concisely, that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. Should we be surprised by that? 
We're not to be. We're not to be. The faith, that means all the teachings about the person of Christ and what he's accomplished. At one point, at one point, was, was he, Demas, at one time a disciple and an associate, someone that God used with the, with the apostle Paul, was he? And he was. We see that clearly in the scripture. You'll see that in Colossians where where, all, where Demas was an associate of Paul. There's no question about it. But then there was a time where he left him. He departed from the faith. Things were tough. What makes us think that on our way to glory, there's not going to be suffering when Christ himself was that, when Christ himself entered into that? Love is self-sacrificial. There's going to be suffering. Righteous suffering, not suffering because of a consequence of sin, but even that we can learn by, even that. But he was, he was an associate of Paul. But then he left him in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10. He departed, having loved this present world system. And many will do that. The Bible makes it clear to us. But what they do and how they act should be an influence on me, would the enemy try and use that? Yes, he would. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. Can, is that Christians? Could it be Christians? Absolutely. Giving heed to what? Seducing spirits. You get seduced. And teachings of demons, and then you begin to speak these lies, convince yourself that it's okay. You speak these lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, this goes into a lot more than that, but that's as far as we'll go uh, this morning. So, hypocrisy. Remember in Romans 12, verse 9, let love be without dissimulation is where we get our English word hypocrite. Don't pretend that you're experiencing God's love when you live in the flesh. 1 John 3, 18, love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Make your companions as best as you can to be those that are one with you in Christ. Because it'll be about Christ. Because evil companions, and it's not communications as it says it in the King James in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, evil companions destroy good manners. They corrupt good manners every single time. That's why we're not to have to do with those that live in sin. And continually, not those that say, I hate my sin. God, please help me. Oh, could you please help me and give me counsel? All day long, you, you, you draw near to them. You do. Then we see this again in 2 Timothy 3. I mean, could this be, could it be, and is it the time right now that we're living in? If this was true in the Apostles' day, in Paul's day, it's true. Listen, here it is, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. This, know also. Know this. Know also. What, what is the also? Read the whole second chapter. Because that's the also. I, he wants you to know all of this. He wants us to know that in the midst, because sec, the second epistle of Timothy teaches how an individual can still function in the order of God's love through Christ in the midst of disorder. 
in the midst of disorder. That's what it's teaching us. And that's 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 26. But he says this, know also with that, that in the last days, perilous, stressful, hard to deal with times will come. By the way, they're in our country right now, full force, right out in our face, right out in our face, right out. For men, what causes it? For men will be lovers of their self-life. And as a result, covetous, lustful, never satisfied, boasters, proud, and on and on it goes all the way down to verse 12. But yea, all that live godly, that will, notice will, submitted will, will, that will live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. God, why is this happening to me? Why so many adversaries? Why? Well, this is why. You're one with Christ. You're one with each other. And we see it. But verse 13 of 2 Timothy 3, But evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, oh boy, don't get involved with them. Don't make them to be your authority. No, don't make that. No, but continue you in the things which you have learned. You need to. That's why we need constantly to be separated from self-conscious living, soul, and God-conscious living, spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit now can function in and through our spirit. And that's why the prayer is brought out Again, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, I pray God your whole spirit and then your soul and body be preserved blameless. But what happens in the thought force of Satan through lies in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, he comes in and wants the self-conscious thoughts to take precedence over the spirit, meaning we keep the spirit out from taking the things of Christ and showing them unto us. But you continue in the things which you have learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned. And Paul's saying about himself, you learned him, and God used me as a vessel to teach you because he had to teach me. And then faithful is he who will call, who has called you. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 24, who will also do it? Remember what, again, remember what success is. Okay? Success is not numbers. It's not, it's not numbers. It's not buildings. It's the individual in Christ. And the individual in Christ, is that a minority or a majority? Is Christ all in all in Colossians 3.11? And he is. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. The smallest local assembly in the churches, they were, they were actual seven Asiatic churches, but they also go into and reveal church history right down to where we're living. But the smallest one in Revelations 3 and verse 8 was the church of Philadelphia. They were the smallest one. They had a little faith. Oh, boy. And weren't denying his name. They weren't denying Christ and the work that he had accomplished because they kept continuing in it through suffering, through trial, through chast loving chastisement. 
to separate us from anything that's not of him. And that's what Abram in type did. He went down. God said, here, you dwell in the land. And in the land where all those promises were, there was a famine. What was the famine to teach him? God wanted to teach him some things in that famine, in, in there, in the land. And, what did he, and this is where we get the most intimate experiential truths. And that's when the enemy comes in most against us. But he's dwelling in the land, but there was a famine there. And that's a test for us. It's a test. It's a trying of our faith in 1 Peter 1.7. That we trust Christ even when we don't see him in 1 verse 8 of 1 Peter. We trust him. And then we have joy unspeakable in the midst of trial, in the midst of it, in the midst of suffering. We can have it and we do have it. In the midst of it. But then he went down and Genesis 12, 10, and there was a famine down in the land and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was grievous in the land. If you think that's grievous in the world, you go back to the world. Then follow that through finally to the 13th chapter of Genesis and you can read those. You see where even when he began to function in the world to protect himself, he had to lie He wasn't experiencing truth. He had to lie, and then he was using his wife, and he was telling her it was for her sake. When when we live in the flesh, it's not about those that we love or even closest to us. It's about ourselves. It's why we need to know when, where, how, where to go, what's motivating us in every single detail. The time is short. Time is very short for this time of learning. It's very short. That's why, that's why the teaching of the word takes precedence over everything. Boy, if it doesn't, what, am I in, what is being initiated to me? And then what am I initiating to others? God, help us. <laughs> God, help us. Then we can see the reality of 1 Timothy 4, 14 to 16. We can see that clearly. We have to submit and be taught those things so that God can then again use us for even unbelievable blessings that experience that uh, reveal his glory because it's all about him. So there was a famine. Finally, it says in 13.1 of Genesis, and Abram finally went up. God had to go in himself and keep him. Did you see that? He wasn't leaving him nor forsaking him in the midst of trial, even in his failure. He went after him. Where, what is our failure a result of? I'm going to t- forget God instantly in the flesh. Instantly. Not going to be deceived. I am deceived. The area that I'm not humble and submitted in is not the area that I might be deceived. I'm already deceived. And when I'm deceived now, those that I love and had fellowship before, now I become a vessel of accusations against them crystal clear in the scriptures. So Abram went up out of Egypt and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the south. Then he was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. Oh boy, didn't that sound familiar? Revelations 3, 14 to 22. The Laodicean age. That's the age that we live in. 
God's going to make you rich on the earth. Really, Jesus was, was he? The Apostle Paul was, was he? All the prophets were, weren't they? No. No. Nope. Now, God will use money. He does when it's given to him, when we give ourselves to him in Acts 6, verse 4. And usually, with a lot of us, the thing that we most don't want to do is the thing that's most needed in us. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Because it really, when we think about where God has us to be and to do what we do, if I don't think with him, I think selfishly. This is about me. I don't like it when he wants to do it, not only for me, but for others to increase his glory and manifestation so others can be blessed. Well, there was a famine and he went down and of course, and then God had to intervene to an unsaved Pharaoh had to go in a dream and tell him, what are you doing? So he had to reveal truth to an, un- to an unbeliever so that the one, the believer, you know, <laughs> he would use this one to come out. Well, don't be surprised. He used Cyrus as, as his, he called him his anointed in the sense that God was using him. You can see that in Isaiah 45, 1 to 3, by the way. So Abraham, he went up. Now he's getting back to his proper position. He went up out of Egypt. Oh, how many times God has to take us up. Constantly renew our minds. You see that in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2. You see that in Ephesians 4, verse 23. Constantly renewing us in what? The spirit of our minds, you see. Things of the spirit, not the things of the flesh in Romans 8, 4 to 8, but the things of the spirit. Constant separating. Oh, Paul said, oh, I travail in birth again, he said to the Galatians in 4.19. Till Christ be formed in you, 4.17. Until Christ be, be formed in you. And that's brought out in the truth of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. Separating us. And that's, again, Galatians 5 verse 17 goes into Hebrews 4 and verse 12. Then we, then we take the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6 and verse 17. And when it's the sword of the Spirit that we take, submit to, now we go forward in spiritual battle. What? You're going to be in a battle It's not going to be suffering. But boy, when the battle's over, ah, it's time to glory and rest. That's our position in Christ, but he's working in us and experientially. So he went up out. Then he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel. Now he's getting back out of his soul into the human spirit unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning. How many times? Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. There's a time when you ought to be a teacher and you need to be brought back again to the first teachings, the first oracles of God. Oh, how he has to do that in us. Very humbling, isn't it? It is. Boy, we need to be. So many times I cried out, oh, help me, God. And God says, yeah, I'll help you. I'm going to humble you. Because that's the only way he can help us, by the way. Truthfully. Oh, God, deliver me out of this situation. Oh, God, change this situation. No, I have you there because I want to change you. How do you like that one? <laughs> mm, okay. And boy, the ways that he does that in his love for us. He had to go back to the place of the beginning. Well, follow it through, and then we'll get into this. You follow it through there. 
And here we are. Now he's had Isaac. And remember, he got, he got Isaac, right? Isaac there is a type of Christ. Was, that, was Isaac the baby in the womb of Sarah and, and, a, and a 99-year, a 100-year-old husband and a 99-year-old wife passed using natural reproduction to bring about the desired child God had to bring him to the place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness so that God could bring Isaac out of them. And that's a picture of Christ in us, entering into the experience by no means of the flesh. It's why we teach the Bible by, by the pure grace of God, not above anybody, not below, the Holy Spirit is the only theologian and the only scholar. Period. It takes God to reveal God. Like begets like, even in the natural laws of mankind. So finally, he has Isaac. First, she's doubting. She's doubting the word. That's like us in Genesis uh, 18, 12 to 14. She's in the midst. She's waited so long and God told her, no, you believe me. He sent his messengers and said, you know, you believe me, you keep trusting. And she laughed and mocked God. She got familiar with God. You know, our problem, seriously now, our problem, and God had to teach me this even recently, my, uh, uh, my problems aren't that people get familiar with me. It's that I get familiar with God and forget him. Then they become what I'm occupied with. And then I'm going to confess it. And then I want to gather around a few. No, I do want to gather around few. I mean this. I do want godly men that want the word like this. I miss certain individuals that used to show up for the word. Okay. So finally she laughed in Genesis 8, 18, 12 to 14, and God said, no, is anything too hard for God? He didn't ask us if anything's too hard for us. What isn't in the flesh when I don't get my way? He said, is anything too hard for God? No, but it will return unto you what God set appointed time, and that's when you'll experience life. But he's got to bring you into the place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness. You not looking for anyone else, because if you do, you're disappointed. And then when you can't rely on them, you go inward, and then you, you get discouraged because it's self. And God has to separate all of that. That's the types of Abraham and Sarah in their old age. Those are the types there. Then finally, he has Isaac. Now, you can see all of that. And Isaac's bride was to be not one of the natural, but of the supernatural. It was to be God's choice. God, when we submit to God's choice, and many times that involves patience, because there's a spiritual battle going on in Daniel 10, 1 to 13, in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 and 19. There's a spiritual battle and there's patience and we learn the love of God's patience and then we begin to, to trust the patience of his love. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, we begin to endure in those two Greek words for patience, macrothumia and hupomone. And again, so now he has Isaac and what does he say again? Now what is he saying to Isaac? And it's very interesting. What he told Isaac, what he told Isaac, he obeyed instantly. Why? Because Isaac 
is a type of Christ. His obedience, Christ himself, when he walked the earth, in those synoptics and in the Gospel of John, he always did those things that pleased the Father in John 8 and verse 29. His meat was to do the will of the Father and finish the work in John 4 and verse 34, which he did on Calvary in John 19 and verse 30. And that's why there's no experiential love of Christ and growth in grace without a cross constantly separating the soul from the Spirit. We will either glory in the flesh or glory in Christ. In Galatians 6 and verse 14, God forbids us to glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ, of whom, listen, Men, the whole world system is crucified unto you and you unto the world. And this is being spoken to me just as much as it to anybody, probably more. In my own case, it is the more. <laughs> it is the more needed. Now, so here we have, and now we go forward to Genesis 26. Now we see there was a famine in Genesis 26 in the land. Beside the, the famine, the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines of Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said this, Look, go not down unto Egypt. Men, stop going into the world. Stop trying to find your rest in a world, in a vacation or a staycation or anything other than Christ. Know who's leading you. Know. It's very important. Dwell in the land which I will tell you of and sojourn in the land. We are strangers and sojourners in this world system like Jesus was. That's 1 Peter 2.11. Jesus said in John 17.14, the most intimate, highly priestly prayer that he ever had in all the Bible that's revealed in his humanity with his Father on earth. He said, I am not of this world, John 17, 14. And then John 17, verse 16, neither are you. And while you're living in this world, but not of it, you will experience suffering and persecution because you're fulfilling part of your call in Christ. Colossians 1, 24, Philippians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 make that crystal clear for us, for all of us. So he went down into the land, which I will tell you of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you there, experientially for us, and will bless you, and unto you, and unto your seed. Do you see how we live as men and initiators, how it affects our family, even if we don't say anything? Even if we don't say anything. Well, here it is. Unto your seed, and I will give you these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swore unto you. It's not what you do, it's what you receive. That's grace. That's merit. Un unmerited favor and kindness of God. You see that all through the epistle of Ephesians and in Galatians. It's all the grace of God. See, he'll do it. He had to tell Job in the midst of his trial. And he gave him that understanding, but he still had to do a continual work in him. 
Because even when he gave the understanding to Job in Job 23 and verse 14, he said, and he said in verse 12, he said, I have esteemed the word above my necessary food. And God says, okay, I'm going to prove that to you. In 23 and verse 14, in 23 and verse 14, he said, he will perform the thing that he requires. And that requires a submitted will. And a lot of times it takes suffering for that to happen. He's going to do it. He will do it. He will do what he's done. He performs the thing that he requires. See it in Psalm 138, 1 through 8. Read it there. You'll see it. Beautiful correlations there in the Word of God. He will do it. Because without him, what can we do? John 15, 1 to 5. What can we do without him? Can't do a single thing. Now, here it is again. So he said, sojourn there. And he said, I will give you this. And I will perform the oath which I swore unto Abraham, your father. And I will make your seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. Now, of course, he's speaking in the isagogical truth. He's speaking of the nation of Israel. Of course, that's not going to happen till Christ comes back in Revelations 19, the 19th chapter, to, to set up the kingdom. And that's Revelations, the 20th chapter. And that's those things are very clear in the scriptures as as we are taught and need to continually be taught. And, uh, and then, and then in your seed will all the nations of the earth be blessed because a- that Abram obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments and my statutes and my laws. Now, then he goes forward and we skip on to here and we see this. We see here that in, in Genesis 26, verse 17, it says, And Isaac departed there, pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. His tent, that's what he lived in. We pitch, we're in these tents, our physical bodies, and we're supposed to go where God tells us to go, and we're supposed to dwell where he tells us to dwell. And of course, in Colossians 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you. The word dwell there is okidomio in the Greek, and it simply means... Let God continually make room in your experience for Christ to dwell in you. But for someone to move in, someone has to move out. That's the flesh in us. That's the area where we get familiar with God. When I get familiar with God and I forget God, then I get involved with all of his familiarity towards me. Then I get involved in it and oh my God, then it's my whole thought. And sprinkle in some of the word of God, but boy, oh boy. What a thing to be occupied with. Well, he said, I'm going to do that because you're Abraham, your father. Now, you follow it through in verse 17. Isaac departed from there, pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water. Does that involve labor? Is that 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Be steadfast. Men of God, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord as he's working in and through you and using you as a vessel. For your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not without purpose. First, his glory, your blessing, blessing of others. Many adversaries when it's the word. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. Don't be shocked. Suffer a trial. 1 Peter 4, 12. Is that strange? 
No. No. He pitched, again, the wells of water they had digged in the days of Abraham, his father. But he's digging them in the right place. Listen. For the Philistines had stopped them. All those that Satan was using. All those that he uses with the unsaved and even backslidden Christians. He stopped them after the death of Abraham. And they called, and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. Now look it. And Isaac's servants, they're one with him, digged in the valley. They did it together. They were one. And found there a well of springing water. Psalm 36, verse 9. With you, O God, is the fountain of life, continual supply. And then in your light, we see light. We see it crystal clear. Then in verse 20, but then what happened in the land? The, the herdmen of Gerar did strive, contend, and go against Isaac's herdmen, saying, the water is ours. Well, yeah, you, you dug it. You filled it. You prepared it for us. We took it, but now it's yours. We don't want you. We want your well. You ever feel that? You ever go through that? But this is what he said. Then what did he do? He called the name of that well, what? Asak, contention. You mean to tell me going forward in Christ and continuing, there's, the enemy's not going to raise up those that are in contention first with Christ inwardly. You see, their battle starts inwardly in James 4, 1 through 4, long before it ever reaches us. Then the enemy uses them. He called it, what? That well is contention. Why? And he digged, he, 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 what did he do? He called that well Isaac, because they strove with him. They contended. They came against him. And they digged another. Oh, you mean I got I to gotta, I gotta dig another? Yeah, he, he dug another well. And they strove for that one also. And then he called the name of that Sitna. And what is that? Hatred. They strive and they contend because in their own life, in the flesh, it's strong, settled feelings of hatred toward God in Romans 8, 7. He called that, well, hatred. God, I gave him water and all this. Oh, my God, for my love, they're my adversaries in Psalm 109, 4 and 5. Yes. Called it Sitna. And he removed from there. Oh, how yeah, he can remove us from there. But has he removed our thoughts about that? Or do we live in them constantly? Stirring up the flesh in us through the contention and striving of others. Well, he removed from there and he dug another well. For they strove not there. God is going to give us a place where there's no striving. Where's that? That's in Christ. When he's our object and we don't become subject under the influence of the enemy through others. And they strove not. And then he called the name of it what? Rehoboth. And what is that? Room. And did you know that the enemy means everything for evil against us, but God means it for good? Did we know that? In Genesis 50 and verse 20. You may meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Why? Because he's going to make room for me. That's part of the righteous suffering. That's... Be not, don't, be, don't be terrified by your adversaries. 
You know, that's what Jesus, they, the, the Jews, the Jews made Jesus their adversary. You don't think a, a, a backslidden believer can do that with you when it's just God? That's what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 25. But then you know what he said? Okay, you consider me your adversary? Then agree with me, even just agree with your adversary. That's what he was telling them. But if not, can two walk together in Amos 3, 3 if they're not agreed? No. They're living in the flesh. They don't want to get right. There's others that hate sin and want help. <laughs> me. <laughs> That'd be me. And there's others that don't. Well, you remove. But you continue digging. If you can't dig the well there with them, you dig it continually. Keep making supplies for yourself and for, the, and for others through the water of the word and continually be cleansed by all that in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. That's brought out in John 13 in those first 10 verses. He called that place room and he said, for now the Lord has made room for us. All the, en the enemy comes against us. The way to properly view it is God is going to use him to make more room for us <laughs> and for others. For his glory. Did God ever lose anything? God ever lose a battle? Never. And he's for us. That's Romans 8, 31, Psalm 56, verse 9. When my enemies come against me, then I cry out unto the Lord, for this I know, the Lord is for me. And Roman, read Romans 8, 31 to 39. God for me, does it even matter who's against me? No, I'm going to forget that and make that the matter. No, Romans 12, 21. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. The good that Christ has in you and the few that he may gather with you. For the Lord is making room for us and we will be fruitful in the land. Oh boy. As we wrap this up in these next few minutes, and I don't even have the time to go into, oh the opportunity of time that we have, that opportunity, how the enemy wants to mock. Mocking comes from a familiar spirit. We're going to get into these things on Monday or whenever we do it. Yeah, we do it on Monday. Yeah. Mocking and familiarity is a spirit. And, and that's brought out in Isaiah 29, 4 and verse 5. It makes it clear. Just like fear is a spirit in 2 Timothy 1.7, mocking and familiarity. Can a Christian live that way? I don't know. I don't have to go any further than in my flesh to see that. Don't make what they go through, believers go through, even in their sins against God. Don't make that to be that that's against you. Sin is against God. Now, if it has an effect on you in a local assembly, then you're to deal with it like they did they were to get rid of people that did not want to get right. Why is there no water in the church? Because there's not enough of the word to be understood. People are allowed to do what they do because that's love. No, it's not. Not in the local assembly. To the pure in Titus 1.15, all things are pure. But we know what it's like to them that have a defiled spirit. But we're going to get into these words and understand even the English words that I want to get into. I'm not even going to tell them to you because I want to reveal them and they're incredible. But just uh, 
this familiar. Remember what Jesus said? How close was Judas to him? He was close, wasn't he? You know what the prophecy was about Judas in, in Psalm 41.9? My old familiar friend has kicked up his heel against me. Where did that familiar friend get his familiarity? Well, that's in Genesis 3 and verse 15. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent will bruise the humanity with his heel, the heel of his humanity. Do we see the correlations here? Familiarity, it's a spirit, an evil spirit, because sin is evil. Weakness doesn't mean sin. It's a potential to, that's, that's Hebrews 12, verse 1. I can be weak and be tempted now in James 1, 12, but there can be a blessing in that temptation because God's trying us. But I can give in to it, then it is sin. There's a difference between sin and weakness, by the way. Weakness is never an excuse for sin. Jesus did away with all excuses in John 15 and verse 22. He did away with them all. We want to get into, and I'm going to, and I'm going to trust God. I might even do it tomorrow and just put it up as a, as a recording about mocking and familiarity and understanding these things and the effects that it can have on me and when it affects me, how the enemy can use me to affect others. It's, it's amazing. But you know what? This is God's loving counsel for every single one of us. That's what it says. You know, when it says in Galatians 6, verse 7, I'm going to say, be not deceived. Stop being deceived. God is not mocked. Don't you know God's going to deal with people just like he deals with us? It's none, it's none of our business. We're to preach the word. Period. Period. There's all kinds of danger to, in the flesh, try and get involved in another person's uh, life, especially when the believer is living in the flesh. It's terrible. And they have nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with our call at all. Nothing. We're called to fellowship around Christ, period. By the way, fellowship is Christ, okay? I want to make that crystal clear. Anytime we get together, anytime we get together, when it's Christ that we're expressing to each other, that's called fellowship. Otherwise, it's not fellowship. It isn't. It just isn't. That's true for me, and that's true for all of us. Doesn't mean that God can't use other things to bring out that fellowship. Oh, but boy, we better, don't we need to know the difference, right? Christ has given us all, supplied all I need in Philippians 4 and verse, 3, verse 19. I can't do it, God. It's too much. My God has supplied all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. That's why you can do all things and only all things through Christ, which makes you very powerful and mighty against the enemy and all his lies. And that's Philippians 4 and verse 13. And Father, we thank you and praise you for your precious word, your precious loving counsel to all of us. Thank you so much, Lord. And may these these truths be the truth that Christ is in our experience. And may he move in and move out anything else in Colossians 3 and verse 16. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.